0: I'm Rebecca and I'm Sarah. We're two friends who talk a lot about mental health and wanted to share some of these conversations at a time when people might be struggling a little more. I'm a clinical psychologist and I often
1: ask my clients to think about having a bucket symbolising their capacity for life stresses. Some things add to the bucket, some things empty it. These are different for everyone and people are aware of and manage their bucket to different degrees.
0: We're going to talk to a range of people about their buckets, in the hope that it might help you with yours. This is A Drop in the Bucket. And this is Episode 7. Welcome back everybody,
1: thank you so much for tuning in this week. This week we are joined by Ali, who is one of my I would say best friends, but she's really like family. Ali is one of life's great adopters. When she and her family decide that they like you, they don't let you go. They really do invite you to be a part of their lives and their household. And it's so lovely. I met Ali and her family when I worked at a special needs school and was a teaching assistant for her son, Connor, who at the time was eight and is now 17. 17, yeah. Oh my gosh. I can't believe he's so big. But yes, Ali, welcome to the
2: show. Thank you for inviting me. We're
1: going to start off with some icebreakers and then we'll let you introduce yourself a bit more. So first of all, if you had your own late night TV show, who would you invite on as your first guest?
2: Oh my goodness. There's only one who immediately springs to mind. And that's Harrison Ford. He is my... I watched Star Wars when, I, when it first came out and that's what led me into my obsession about films and my love of Harrison Ford. So... I've always wanted to meet him. I probably wouldn't be able to speak if I met him. It would just be... But yes, that would definitely be him.
0: I mean, it's your own show. You can talk however you want, I guess. (laughs) Brilliant. And if you had to delete all but three apps from your
1: smartphone, which ones would you keep?
2: Uh, I'd keep Candy Crush, definitely. Solid choice. This is probably the wrong answer, but I would keep my work email app. And really boringly, my banking app, because I find that's really useful. Yeah, I think that's a a good spread.
1: Yeah. And if you could have an unlimited supply of one thing for the rest of your life, what would you choose?
2: Crisps. (laughs) Nice. They are my nemesis, but I love them. I hear that. Okay, so
0: we've got a quick five now, Ali. So, tea or coffee? Definitely tea. Sweet or savoury? Savoury. Morning or night? Morning. Morning. Flying or teleportation?
2: Definitely teleportation.
0: Cats or dogs? Dogs, of
2: course. I do love cats, but I have a dog. So yeah, it has to be dogs.
1: I think that's the quickest anyone's got through those. <laughs> I like it. Not messing about. Great. So, Ali, could you start by telling us a little bit about yourself, about your family, and about your experiences with mental health?
2: Okay, so at the moment in lockdown, there's in the house is... Me and my husband and my son, Connor, we live with my mum, who everybody calls grandma. And my mum moved into this house not long after we'd had Connor, about four or five months after we had Connor, because he had to have an operation when he was three and a half months old. And unfortunately, that went a bit wrong and we nearly lost him. So... My husband and I had to stay in hospital for a bit longer than we was expecting and but we had to pay the bills. So we had to pay the mortgage, we had to pay all the utilities and everything like that. We couldn't get benefit because we were both working, apparently. So so yes, yeah, so we so we got ourselves into a lot of debt. And so therefore mum said, Right, that's it. Come on, I'm I'm giving up my council flat and she moved into this bigger house with all of us. Which was really, really lovely of her to do, um, because she was retired at the time. So, so yeah, so so it helps now that we can rent our house out now, and we need that house for Connor really, so that when he grows up, he has got something where he somewhere where he can live if anything happens to me or my husband. But that's where I thought my mental health stemmed from. Turns out, I've been reading a book recently by Frankie Bridge, and. By reading her book, I've realised that I've always had mental health issues growing up. So um, me and mum um, moved over from Sweden when I was about 18 months old and lived with nanny and granddad. Never had any real interactions with my dad. So that sort of affected me. Then later on, I lost my nanny and my granddad within six months of each other when I was in my 20s. And then obviously Connor came along. And the first thing I said when I found out that he had a foot condition called talipes was... I can't even do this right. So I think throughout my life, I've always had a problem with mental health. I've always thought I wasn't good enough. I've always thought, you know, things have happened because of me. Um, I'm not a very nice person. So yes, yeah, so I think over the years, I've kind of learned to live with my mental health as well as doing all those things that you need to do to manage your mental health as well.
1: And it's amazing because you are the kind of person who really builds up everybody else yeah (laughs) like you can't say enough nice things about other people
2: no I know and I think I think that's part of it for me is so if I think if I can help other people and make them feel better then that kind of helps me feel better too because I'm helping somebody else because I can't sometimes help myself that makes any sense
0: I always think it's easier to build up other people than it is to build up yourself. And I always think the way I, sometimes I, the way I speak to myself, I'd never speak to my friends like
2: that. Absolutely. And my husband gets so cross with me because I'll see like a whale or something on telly and go, oh, look, there's mummy. And he's like, oh, I wish you wouldn't do that. But I would never, like you said, I would never say that about one of my friends. So yeah, so it's very easy, a lot easier to put yourself down rather than somebody else you, you care about or want to help. So...
1: As you know, we start by thinking about everybody having a bucket. Things add stress, things take stress out. What kind of things add stress to your bucket?
2: If I'm at work, the things that add to my bucket are things like, I wish people would sometimes be a bit more proactive on themselves rather than just coming to me and going, oh, Ali, do you know how to do this? Or, oh, Ali, can you help me with this? So that kind of frustrates me rather because... In my opinion, I had to learn these things myself. I had nobody to teach me, so why can't you? And that's sometimes really not a good thing to think. But yeah, that that fills my bucket up. And it's the pressures that I put on myself, really, especially at work, is to be the best I can at work and to be the perfectionist at work. I mean, if you look at look at my, me at work, I'm so messy and so... What's the word? I, tr- I try to be go-to person at work, and then to my detriment, I say oh yes I'll do this oh yes I'll do that and then at the end of the day I'm getting stressed myself my bucket's getting fuller because I can't actually do the work that I'm supposed to be doing I'm running around doing things for everybody else so that is something that I've got to learn and say no which is very difficult for me
1: yeah and I think I'm a bit like that as well and it's not just that other people ask you to do things but you end up volunteering for things and then you resent the fact that you've got to do them and you think but it's my own fault I said I'd do it
2: and then and then you're doing something and you go thinking, oh, this is a horrible job. Why on earth did I sign myself up to do this, you idiot? So yeah, it's to my own detriment sometimes, as my, my boss would say. I, I don't know if this is the same for you, but for me, it's often about if I volunteer to do that, then you'll
1: like me or you'll think I'm competent or I know that I can do that well yeah. and would it be done as well if someone else did it? So it's a bit about wanting people to like me and it's a bit about wanting a job to be done
2: well. Yeah. Definitely, and they go, "Oh, Ali did that for me. She's great." Kind of thing. It's like, "Yay,
0: I did a good thing." I do think as well, particularly when you know you can do a job well, then you, even if it's like it ends up being stressful, you're like, "Well, but I know I can do this well, and I know people will like me for it." But also, it'll be done better than, yeah. <laughs> than if other people do it. So I am, um, yeah. I often find myself volunteering for jobs. And I'm like, oh, "I can do that. I can do
2: that." <laughs> yeah, and then and then you're halfway through again. Wish I hadn't done this. Yeah. I have to finish it now because, oh, I'm not going to give in. It's not going to get the better of me.
0: And I won't do it at a substandard level either.
2: exactly.
0: (laughs) So that's at work. What about at home? What fills your bucket up at home?
2: Connor fills my bucket a lot at home. So, yeah, do
1: you want to explain a little bit more about Connor and what um, his difficulties are?
2: Yeah, so Connor has autism. He was diagnosed as autistic when he was uh, 11 years old. He got such a late diagnosis because he had so many other things going on. So, for example, he, um, he's got developmental delay. He's got a small head, which means his brain is called microcephaly. He had the foot condition when he was born. He has hearing loss in both ears and he had a, a cleft palate um, as well. So he's had quite a number of operations. Been in sort of under the hospital since he was two weeks old, having his foot cast regularly for the talipes. And so, yeah, so that was a very stressful time, especially when his first operation went particularly badly. And then, you know, he's had subsequent operations, but he's operation free now, which is fantastic. And we can, that's like a weight that's been lifted off my shoulders. But now he's, he's the challenging teenager that has autism and um, sensory processing disorder all rolled into one. So he's fucking the system. He's, he can be aggressive. He can, he can hit us. He can bite us. He's very compartmentalized. He's very routine based. So if, Oh, my goodness, the beginning of coronavirus was an absolute nightmare. Because like me, he likes his films and he couldn't understand why he couldn't go to the cinema. Why can't I go and get McDonald's? Why can't I go and get sausage chips and mushy peas? And, you know, all this compacted into a very stressed and very stressful household. So, so, yeah, now we're a few weeks in, he's getting a bit more used to it. And he kind of understands that he can't do things because of the virus. But that just means he watches so much rubbish on telly. And I feel bad that he's just sat in front of the telly all day long, um, even though it's keeping him happy. The alternative would be a very cross and angry Connor. But I always tend to constantly beat myself up about the fact that, you know, he should be doing this or he should be doing that. Or, you know, even though he's autistic, I think I'm harder on him. And I want him to behave more because he's autistic. Because I don't want people to think he's just a nasty, horrible, spoilt little boy, which Becca you know he isn't. I think you know he's spoilt because of what happened to him. But yeah, it just I just worry about him sometimes and what's gonna happen in the future when we're not around. So yeah, that's a constant bucket filler.
0: Out of curiosity, were some of his like developmental delay and things, was he born with that do you think, or was did it come from the operation?
2: Uh-huh. he was he was born with the talipes, and he had The the operation to have his, because he had to have an operation to have his Achilles stretched. So he had to have his Achilles tendon snapped and stretched so he could put his heel on the floor. But when they gave him the anaesthetic, um, the anaesthetic went into his stomach rather than his lungs. So the stomach blew up, pushed up onto his lungs, put pressure on his heart, and they lost him for a few seconds. And they had to get somebody through from actually the operating theatre next door through to Connor's operating room and they put a, a hole in his stomach and put a tube in to let all the anaesthetic gas out. And they thought they thought he'd got his oesophagus and his windpipe were joined. But then when he went to Great Ormond Street, they sort of said at Great Ormond Street, in our opinion, they put the anaesthetic tube down the wrong hole, which was something very hard to deal with. And But because nothing was written down, we couldn't do anything about that. So that every subsequent operation that he had, I was like, you've got to use this size tube to put down and you need to make sure you read his notes really carefully so every time he went into a su- subsequent operation it was i was fine once he was under it was the fact of them getting him under and you know they let from then on they let me stay in there so i could see him actually go under so i think the hospital would say no his developmental delay it wasn't because of that i would say i think there's a slight aspect of it in there because they did say that he lost oxygen to the brain for a couple of seconds. So who knows? We'll never know. And I think I've learned to not that there was some, there was a point I actually had CBT and I've actually learned now to put that aside. That's in its little compartment and that doesn't haunt me anymore. So that's, that's the way now in its own little box. So yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a tough few years trying to, trying to deal with that.
1: I I think in terms of you saying, you know, he's kind of spoiled, you do so much for him, you try and give him, you always have done, try to give him so many good things and lovely holidays and days out and all of that, that I guess any parent wants to give their child. But I think for you, you seem to have always felt a bit of guilt, like you said, when when Connor was born and and you thought because of his, his foot condition, oh, I can't even do that right think you feel an awful lot of responsibility for how Connor is feeling and if he's not happy then that's obviously you you want him to be happy because you love him but you also want him to be happy because then that means that you're doing a good enough job as a mum and yeah. I know you found it really difficult probably one of the times I've seen you struggle the most with Connor is when you have gone to so much effort to plan something nice for him and he hasn't liked it. It hasn't been what he expected or he wanted. And and you feel that you've just not done the right thing for him.
2: Yeah, you absolutely hit the nail on the head there because we do try to do so many special things for him. You know, we we know he loves the theatre. So, you know, whenever we go to the theatre, I always try and get him a meet and greet with, with the cast, which is to my own detriment because now every time he goes, he expects it. So I dread the day when we can't get a meet and greet because he'll... Well, I just won't take him. I'll I'll go on my own or with somebody else. And also as well, we, we planned a surprise for him a couple of years ago to take him to Lapland for the day because he still believes in Santa and everything. So we didn't tell him until the morning. The flight was like four o'clock in the morning. So we, we got him up at two and said, surprise, we are going to go and see Father Christmas. And he just stood there and went, no, Mickey Mouse. And I was like, oh, come on, we're going to go and see Santa. No, Mickey Mouse. And he was absolutely adamant that because he thought he was going on a plane, he was going to see Mickey Mouse. Yeah. I mean, we got in there in the end, but I was just like, oh, seriously? Do you know how much money this is costing? You know, so it's, yeah, things like that that it just is so frustrating. You know, before we'd even got to the airport, my, my stress levels were through the roof. Because I was like, no, we have to go. <laughs> we spent so much money on this, you know, so... So yeah, he 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 throws us a curveball like that every now and again. I'm like, oh, why do I bother?
1: But I think it means that, like you say, your your bucket is kind of constantly being filled with little things when you have a child like Connor. And so even when you are looking forward to things, even when things feel quite calm, I don't think you ever really feel like your bucket is ever empty or really right. emptying to any significant degree, because you're always having in the back of your mind, yes, but what if and when's the next thing going to happen? Yeah, you have yeah. to be very alert to his moods, don't you?
2: Absolutely. Re- recently, since sort of like November, because we, we had a, a stressful week in November, which sort of like has, has extended to just a few weeks ago with his nighttime routine. And me and mum and my husband were sitting in the dining room watching telly because he just would not come off the telly in the main room. And, you know, you, you come home from work and you just want to sit down, relax, talk to the family, have a nice meal, have a drink, have a nice cup of tea, but we couldn't do that, and we haven't been able to do that for quite a few months, because you just don't know what mood he's going to be in, it's like, you know, what am I going to get tonight, if I go through and say, oh, it's adult telly time soon, or it's duck up time soon, you know, is he going to come through here and batter me, or is he going to tell me to off, and you know, and things like that, and it's just like, oh, I just want to relax, and I don't want to be on tender hooks the whole time
1: mm.
2: yeah so yeah you're right my my bucket is never truly empty because there's always something there to think what's Connor going to do next
0: I have that image of like so when someone's in a, a boat that's filling up with water and they're getting a bucket and emptying it out yeah. and you can only empty out at the rate that it's filling <laughs>
2: exactly. exactly and you know he's I mean most of the time I mean he's he's a good kid he has in hysterics you know We'll, we'll be sitting in the in the in the dining room and he'll come through and he'll have dressed up as something or he'll have done something on the TV and I will be in absolute fits of hysteria, literally tears rolling down my face he he can't breathe because he's laughing so much at me laughing. So you know we do have instances of that, but it's it is stressful having having a child like Connor. I don't think I've
1: ever seen him laugh so hard as when he's laughing at you. He just loves you (laughs) laughing, doesn't he? So given that you're living with a kind of a baseline level of stress that is probably higher than most people, when do you start to notice that your bucket is filling up beyond which is kind of typical for you?
2: I get really snippy. I go one of two ways. I either get really snippy and just snip at everybody until they eventually shout back at me or bite back at me so I can then ensuing an argument with somebody or I just go really quiet and I don't want to talk to anybody and so, mum bless her sometimes she'll go have you taken your tablets and that that will just set me off I'm like oh, I've taken my tablets you know because inferring that you know you're getting a little bit snippy you sure you, you sure you haven't you've taken your happy pills so yeah so I, I yeah I try to either ensue an argument or I just go quiet and don't want to talk to anybody which in, then in effect kind of does cause an argument because they're like oh what's wrong with you why are you so miserable for so either way i get what i want and are there
1: things that other people notice obviously they notice the kind of the snippiness but are there other things that people notice and then get kind of concerned about you
2: yeah i think i think definitely the, the withdrawal and other guests of yours have said you know they just want to be on their own i think there's definitely I mean the gym has definitely suffered for me recently and this is the thing I find with myself is I know I should go to the gym because that'll make me feel better because as you know Becca I've got a lovely group of friends at the gym who are absolutely fantastic and completely understand Connor and you know they can tell if I've had a bad morning with him or a bad evening with him they won't say anything they'll just squeeze my hand or you know just say oh fancy coffee but I'll just withdraw from the gym. I'll withdraw from everything, you know, social events, the gym. I'll just be like a little recluse in the house and I won't want to engage with anybody. And they sort of say, oh, you know, when are you are coming back to the gym? Or, you know, they'll speak to me and, and sort of call me and go, are you all right? Is everything okay? Because they know once I withdraw and don't want to meet with anybody, they know that's when things are kind of getting on top of me.
1: And at what point do you then decide to do something about it that 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 strategy for you to try and cope with that stress isn't working for you anymore
2: I think when they start contacting me or you know I have a round with the husband I know then that I'm being completely unreasonable sometimes at work for example I've, I've walked out of the office and I'm getting I'm getting completely unreasonable and um you know the way I react to things people will go whoa that was a massive reaction to something really little but the thing is, they don't know all the other things that have gone before that massive reaction as to why I've reacted like that. And and then if I just go away and just have five minutes to myself, then I'm absolutely fine. But I just need that moment to, I actually had one of my first panic attacks for a long time a few weeks ago, which really wasn't good. So, yes, yeah, so I've tried to um, calm down a bit and not try and get myself as stressed as I have been.
1: And do you think that it's this lockdown situation, kind of additional stresses that led to that panic attack?
2: Yeah, I think, so So my, I know when my stress seasons are coming, so Christmas is a big stress season for me, even though I love Christmas and I want to make Christmas the best every year for Connor, just like my nanny and grandad used to do for me. I still miss them terribly, so I know at Christmas I'm always going to be a little bit not myself because I miss them and I still do. Um, but yeah definitely lockdown I was already stressing before the lockdown actually happened because they'd already started moving films back that Connor was expecting to see and I'm like oh no not this one not that one oh now and trolls and so yeah so lockdown for me has been now Connor's kind of got used to the idea that there's a virus and that's why he can't go out it's got a little bit easier but the first two or three weeks in lockdown was just an absolute nightmare because he didn't understand. He didn't understand why he couldn't go here, there and all, all the places he used to. He just, you know, why he couldn't see his friends and things like that. So, so, yeah, lockdown has been a very stressful time for us in this household. And you couldn't make it better for him? No, exactly. There was nothing I could do about it. So rubbish old mummy couldn't do anything. I do think
0: it's interesting about picking fights with people. It's almost like you feel that like you can't. there's no reason to be angry or you can't show your anger. You, you need a justification for it. So if you have an argument with somebody, then you've got a reasonable... You've given yourself permission to let it out.
2: Yeah, and I think Connor's the same as well. I think that's why he gets frustrated and he... The only way he knows, because he has the speech impediment, and um, the only way he knows is going, this is really unreasonable and I really hate it because he can't verbalise it in that way. He, he he's more physical so if I sort of say to him at seven o'clock eight o'clock Connor it's adult early time now you need to go and start if he's like really in the moment in the zone and is doing something he really likes he can't go that's really unreasonable mum I hate you for saying that to me in the end I you know he does something else so that is kind of where his frustration is coming from because he can't verbalize it he has to be physical with it hmm. so
1: Ali you've already mentioned panic attacks, when things get really stressful and overwhelming. But what are some of the other things that happen when your bucket overflows?
2: I think the main thing for me is I just want to cry all the time. You know, I could be driving into work and I just want to pull over and just sob my eyes out. You know, and if even if I sort of get into work and somebody says, morning, Ali, how are you? I'm like, I'm fine, thank you. And they're like, oh, no, you're not really fine, are you? I'm like, no, I'm really. Yeah, I think it's just, that's just my release. That's just my way of getting everything out there. So I think definitely for me, it's just wanting to cry or having an argument with somebody. So, you know, either or is good for me, really. Yeah. And what
1: helps to empty your bucket?
2: when I can get it emptied I mean if it's really weird the way your mind works with mental health because I know that if I go to the gym I'll have an absolutely fantastic time at the gym empty my bucket you know have a really good workout with some really amazing people but then on the other hand sometimes I'm like I know what's good for me but I don't always want to do what's good for me does that sound weird so yeah definitely going to the gym empties my bucket going for going out dinner with one of my girlfriends from work or just having some me time reading a book I've started reading again over the last few months and yeah just just read sitting in bed at night reading a book getting lost in a book is really good for me and I try to do that every night now but yeah those, those sorts of things really help me to just when I don't have to think about anything when I can just and and sometimes when I go out with my friends they're like oh you didn't really say much is everything okay and sometimes I don't want to say much I just love just being there not at home with different people just listening to what's going on in their lives is really calming for me and I really value that so yeah so even sometimes I go out and I don't really say a lot but I do listen and I, I love to listen to what's going on in everybody else's lives. So yeah, that's something I really do enjoy.
0: It's like an escape from your own mind, isn't it? It
2: is, it is. And, and that's why I've, I was really quite concerned about lockdown as well, because for me as well, work is my escape. Work is my way of getting out of the house, pretending that all that stuff that happens in the house, it doesn't really exist. So I was, you know, and work were wonderful. Work were like, you know, if, we understand Connor's there. If you need to deal with Connor, that's fine. Don't worry if you can't do your hours every day. My boss is so supportive, and my my work is so supportive that there's nothing they haven't done to help me when things are bad. When you know they know I'm having a rough time, you know it's 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 invaluable. It really is.
0: I completely get that. I think escaping to other things is such a big way of. of escaping your own mental like hamster wheel that's going around in your head I don't understand the gym thing at all but sure I'm so (laughs) glad that works for you
1: (laughs) I think it's such a difficult balance as well isn't it and I hope you don't mind me sharing this Ali but I think you find it difficult to find the the line between escaping from things yeah and addressing things and not ignoring them when something actually needs to be addressed. I know that you, when things get really bad with Connor sometimes, you can kind of bury your head in the sand and go, oh, it'll all be better in a few days or a few weeks. And then there are times when I am kind of almost nagging you, and I don't want to nag you, because it's it's hard. When you struggle with something and you're in a position that you never asked to be, it feels really unfair when the responsibility then lies with you to seek help from social care or CAMS or the school or whatever it is. And sometimes I, I feel like I do end up nagging you slightly, don't I? So like, have you spoken to these
2: people? And no, but I'm the type of person that needs to be nagged. That's why the gym classes that I go to I really enjoy because they are a class full of people and and they're so supportive. Not only the instructors but the people in the classes as well. It's like, come on, Ali, you can do this. And and I need that. Whereas if I go into the gym, gym, you know, I'm standing on a, a treadmill or something. I'm like, ugh, this is boring. But um, going to the classes, I, I do respond well to being shouted at. <laughs> so yeah, so it's 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 good that you know, come on, Ali, get down and do a burpee. I'm like, oh no, I really don't want to. But I, then I think sometimes if you know, because I struggle with my weight as well. Sometimes if I feel I've put weight on, I feel like I can't go to the gym because then people will judge me. And also as well, I'm a perfectionist, so if I can't do the class as well as I used to be able to do the class because I put a bit of weight on then I beat myself up about that as well so it's it's like a vicious circle all the time you know trying to I know this is good for me but ugh, I'm not going to be as good as I used to be in it so yeah it's weird you need to
1: be encouraged by the right people so that it doesn't come across quite so naggy
2: don't you yeah. because
1: if you know that it's coming from people who really care about you and who you know they understand how hard your life is at the moment then it's very different isn't it
2: definitely and a trick that a counsellor gave me many many years ago was think of the people who matter so I've over the years I've ditched a lot of people that don't understand Connor if they don't get my child then I don't need them in my life kind of thing so I've kind of have this vision in my head, which a counsellor told me many years ago, and it's like loads of different circles. And the people in the very middle circle are the people that matter the most. And then, as further you go out the circle, the people in those circles don't really matter. So don't care what they tell me, don't take much notice of them. So that's what I always try and keep a visual in my head of who is this person and where do they fit in the circles. So yeah, so if you, Becca, or Christian or Damien then you know if they're in the middle circles then yeah i'm going to take notice of what you're saying because what you say means a lot to me so therefore i'm going to take notice oh,
1: just to end then i think it's worth saying that there are those times those things that empty your bucket that you don't plan for as well as the the things that come out of nowhere and add stress to your bucket there are those little things like you said that connor does or connor says that suddenly yeah empty your bucket remarkably because he for all we talk about how difficult it is to support him and live with him he is an incredible child yeah and he does give so much joy doesn't he
2: he really does and you know he i feel bad sometimes that i I always focus on the negative stuff but you know he's just he's a great kid and he he makes people laugh he's he's very loving he's very caring i mean we say he doesn't give hugs. He, he won't hug us or he won't kiss us or anything like that. I mean he's seventeen, so he probably wouldn't anyway. But you know he'll if I'm standing next to him, he'll he'll if he sees like a hair on my my top or something, he'll pick the hair off really gently. Or you know if we're sitting down at, at, on the settee or something, and he'll just sort of put his hand just gently on my hand. That's just his kind of way of saying I'm here, mum, kind of thing. Or you know. We have a laugh and a joke and those little things that I really treasure. And, and you know, he's, he's, he's wonderful at the fact that he still believes in Father Christmas and the Easter Bunny and the Tooth Fairy and everything like that. It's just so magical. And, you know, that he he loves everything like that. And he believes that, you know, when he goes to a show like Mary Poppins, that is Mary Poppins that was in the DVD or was on the film, you know. So he's just his mind is so out there and he just drinks everything in and he can act something out if he sees something once he'll act something out and the, the time he'll take to make make outfits from other bits of dressing up costumes he's got his his mind is phenomenal it really is
1: i'll have to see if that video that scott put on youtube is still there of him acting out toy story from a few years ago and
2: oh it's still there link to it because
1: it's yeah his his acting stuff out particularly is just brilliant yeah he's
2: phenomenal
1: well, Ali, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us today. Obviously, I've heard all of this a lot before, but it's still just fantastic to hear you talk about your experiences and talk about your family. And, yeah, you're, you're all brilliant. I love you all.
2: Oh, I love you too, Becca. Can't wait to see you. Yeah. You too.
1: Thank you, everybody, for listening this week, and we hope you'll tune in next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to A Drop in the Bucket. If you want to connect with us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at dropinthebucketpod or Twitter at dropbucketpod. Alternatively, you could email us on dropinthebucketpod at gmail.com. It would be great to hear from some of you about what fills and empties your bucket or any questions that you might have for us or our future guests. We hope you'll tune in next week.